That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Richard tells me that you are beginning a a series of sermons on this um, epistle of 1 John today, and uh, he gave you the option. He said you can come and preach confirmation or whatever you like, or you can start preaching uh, our series. And so I thought this is this amazingly rich uh, part of the Bible, this this, um, meditation on the coming of Christ uh, that we find in this letter of 1 John. struck me the uh, opportunity to speak a few words about this passage was too good to pass up. So I'm going to say a few things about this passage we've um, just read a moment ago, uh, 1 John 1, 4. Because it's a passage that goes right to the heart of some really important questions for us. And in some ways it, it asks the question, uh, what, is, what is life? What is life? It talks about this idea about concerning the word of life. That's what he's talking about here at the beginning of this epistle. And I want to just dig in a little bit to what he says about what this strange thing called life is. Now, by that word life, it can mean lots of different things, can't it? It can mean the the course of events, uh, our lives, what happens to us. But I I suppose where I want to begin is that that sense of life is something that we all share with all living things. Um, probably like you, I've been on holiday the last uh, few weeks. This last week I've been sitting very lazily by a pool in Portugal, uh, gazing up at the sky, looking at the trees and the flowers and the grass and everything else, and just contemplating the sense of life that, that pulses through everything around us. Uh, and every tree, every flower, every blade of grass... Every animal has this mysterious thing called life pulsing through it. And you and I, every day as we wake up, are aware of this mysterious thing called life pulsing through us. So what is this life that we all have, that all living things share? Now, I want to say three things about life that I think this passage points us to. And it points us to the nature of life. And the first thing I think it says to us about life is that true life is eternal. It's a common thing in our culture to think that that life, this thing that we, we, we share, is somehow temporary. That we have it for a while, but eventually it disappears from us and it goes. And however much we say phrases like choose life or celebrate life, we kind of believe that in the end, death wins. 
while I was on my holiday in Portugal, I was reading a book about mortality. Uh, not a very cheerful thing to be reading about on holiday, but actually not a bad thing to be reading about. It was a book just to try to remind us of our mortal nature. And it was uh, saying things like this, that back in, um, uh, back in 1800, the average lifespan, uh, I wonder what you'd say it was, the average lifespan of a human being in Britain, it was 33 years old. That was the average lifespan in 1800. If you lived longer than 33, you were doing pretty well. In fact, before the 18th century, infant mortality was around 25%. So basically, one out of every four children born into this world never made it through childhood. Before the age that we're living in now, you were much more aware of death and the frailty of life. If you go into a cathedral, you go into an old church, you look at the, uh, you don't get it here quite so much, but you look around at the kind of memorials, uh, and you see memorials to children who died, or people who died in their teenage years, or in their 20s, or the 30s. Before the age that we live in, you were aware of people dying all the way through your life. It was something that was just part of life. Now, because of the great increases in healthcare, which is wonderful in our day, death is something we don't really think about a great deal. It's sort of postponed. It happens to old people doesn't happen to young people. When it does happen to a young person, it's a huge, huge shock to us. And so we're very aware of the frailty of our grip upon life and how easily it can disappear from us. As we get older, I'm becoming more aware of this myself, we realize how fragile and broken our bodies are and how tenuous our hold on life is and how it can be threatened by going for a health check or the results of a scan or walking in front of a car or whatever. And this life that we have can go from us very quickly indeed. It slips away from us. But there's that kind of life. But the, the kind of life that John talks about here is a slightly different take on this life. He talks about this life that was from the beginning. He talks about what he calls eternal life. So it's life but it's a life that goes beyond the fragile and frail life that we have. So when you go back to the book of Genesis, um, you realize that God created the heavens and the earth. He creates the trees and the plants and the humans and everything else. But one thing he doesn't create is life. It doesn't say he created life. And the reason why it doesn't say that is because life is already there at the beginning. He didn't create life because he is life. So there is this life that is God himself. But then he talks about this second phase because he creates Adam, this human being, and it says that he formed him from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So it turns out there's two kinds of life. There is the life that God breathed into Adam, this life that pulses through our bodies, that begins at birth, that ends at death, that we always feel is our, our hold on it is rather tenuous, that kind of life breathed into us by God. But then there's this broader kind of life, this eternal life. And John here talks about this life that is stronger and more durable than the life that we know. 
this eternal life that is the life of God that was there in the beginning before human beings or created things were made at all. It's the life of God himself, which is intense and unbreakable, vibrant and eternal. This is the life that was there at the beginning and will be there at the end. It's the life that cannot be destroyed, cannot be extinguished. It's the life out of which the whole universe was born and will be there after this universe is finished. This true life is eternal life. And so there is the life that we have, the life that we share, this fragile life that we have this tenuous hold on for a few brief years while we live on this planet. But then beyond that, that is, if you like, only a shadow, a picture of the bigger life, the eternal life that is the life of God, into which we are invited to share. And it's that life, that eternal life, into which those who've been baptized today have been initiated. That's the life into which they have begun to live. That's the life into which they have come. It's the life that all of us who share life in Christ have begun to live alongside and part of this frail and fragile life that we live right now. Now, because there is this kind of life, that means that you and I have hope that when our tenuous, fragile hold on life finally does come to an end. There is a life beyond this one. There is a life we can trust in, a life that will not be broken, a life that is unbreakable. And it's a life we know about because it's proclaimed to us in this epistle, but because we have seen and felt and touched it. Because that's what John says here, this life that was from the beginning, we, we, we felt it, we touched it, we saw it, because we saw it in the person of Jesus Christ. In this idea that Christians call the incarnation, this idea that the life of God became among us, not just the fragile, frail life that we have, but this eternal life came into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. So that hope we have of life beyond this one is not just vain vague, wishful thinking, but it's a strong conviction based upon the incarnation, the appearance of Jesus Christ among us. So, there's the first thing, that true life is eternal. And the life that we have here, this frail life, is just a picture, a shadow that points towards the true full life, which we are invited to share through our faith in Jesus Christ. Second thing about this life is that true life is relational. Now, again, it's common in our culture to think that the true life is individual. Life is about what you can get out of it. At the end of the day, you're on your own. And Christian faith says that actually that's not the way it works. True life is relational. This passage talks about how this life was with the Father. This life was with the Father. It hints at what later on in Christian theology became the doctrine of the Trinity. This idea that the one God that Scripture proclaims, the one God who made the world, the one God out of, who, out of which everything came, 
is one, yes, but within that oneness, there is relationship. There is the Father and this life that was from Him. Or in other words, there was the Father and the Son together within this one God. So that when we talk about God as Father, He is an eternal Father. He was always Father. Now, I, I am a father. I have two children. But I was not always a father. And for the first 28 years of my life, I was not a father. There's a moment in time when I became a father. It was on the 10th of November, 1986, when our first son was born. And uh, at that moment, I became a father. And ever since then, I have been a father. So in other words, I am not an eternal father. I am someone who became a father. But when we talk about God, we talk about Him as the eternal father. He was always father. There was never a time when He was not father, unlike me because there was a time when I was not a father, 28 years. God is the eternal Father. He was always the Father of the Son. The Son was always the Son of the Father. There's no God behind the Father and the Son. And therefore, that tells us at the heart of this God, this God who is life, is this relationship between the Father and the Son. This God is relationship at His very heart. And therefore, this life that we are invited into is the life of relationship. You are in, and I are invited into the relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. Now, when you think about that for a moment, that is quite mind-blowing. When you read about Jesus, especially in John's Gospel, you get this incredible sense that He, he knew deep in His bones, deep in his heart, deep in his soul, the love of his heavenly Father. And that was something that was the secret of his identity. It was the secret of his security. It was the secret of his everything that he was. He knew he was the beloved son of his Father. He knew that his Father loved him and that he loved his Father. We read quite often in John's Gospel, the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. That's the secret at the heart of God. But the amazing thing about Christian life is that you and I are invited into that relationship. We are invited to become one with Christ so that we know the love of the Father, so that we can know the same love that the Father had for Jesus is the love that the Father has for you and me, so we can know the security, the safety, the identity of being the beloved sons and daughters of the Father. This life that we are invited into is this life of relationship between the Father and the Son. But it's life that is not just relationship in terms of being drawn into that relationship between Father and the Son, but it's also something that we discover in relationship to one another as well. Our passage said about how, how, how you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So that somehow we are invited into this life, which is not just an individual life. We've got it on our own, with our own personal relationship with Jesus. No, it's the relationship that we have as part of, as being one with Christ, knowing the love of the Father, and being part of one another. Our fellowship, we are invited into the fellowship of the apostles, the fellowship of the church, in which we know the love of the Father. 
This life that we were invited into is relational. The third thing about this true life is that this true life is personal. And John says to us, this, this life that was there in the beginning, that will be there at the end, that is so much stronger than the tenuous life that we exist and we, we experience right here and now. This life appeared amongst us. The word of life, as one translation says of it, appeared right before our eyes. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. This life became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. It once appeared among us so that people could, could see it and feel it and touch it. This secret of life was revealed to us. Now, many philosophies and religions around the world, of course, have their version of the secret of life. Uh, and basically, they fall into two different categories. One is a kind of set of philosophies and, and ideas. that The secret of life is understanding certain ideas, whether it's Aristotle's logic or Einstein's theory of relativity or Plato's forms or whatever it might be. If you understand this idea, that's the secret of life. The other is a kind of moral approach to life, that if you do these certain things, that's where you will find life. I read recently about a, a study that, was, um, that went on in Caerphilly in South Wales, and uh, it said that in 1979, two and a half thousand men were asked to follow five simple rules. Eat well, work out, drink less, keep your weight down, and never smoke. And uh, they did this test, the two and a half thousand people in Caerphilly, um, who were asked to follow these rules about life, and some of them did, some of them didn't. And they said that near, nearly four decades on, just 25 pensioners out of all those 2,500 people have managed to stick to those rules and plans in life, but they all feel far fitter and healthier than the volunteers who gave up. Maybe not surprising. It says those who stuck to the plan have dramatically cut their risk of cancer, diabetes, heart attack, stroke, and dementia. Now, there's another approach to the secret of life. Eat well, work out, drink less, keep your weight down, never smoke. That's probably what most of the kind of magazines tell us to do. That's the way we find life. Get a fitness regime, do an act of kindness every day, uh, work hard, eat apples, meditate, buy a Fitbit, do whatever it is that is. That's the way you will find life. But the Christian answer to finding life is not philosophical or moral, but it's personal. It's found not primarily in a philosophy, a set of ideas you have to understand, nor a moral code that you have to follow, but it's found in a person. It's found in this person of Jesus of Nazareth who was and is life incarnate. We see in Jesus Christ what true life is. And this life, this eternal life, grows in us as we grow in closeness to Christ and in likeness to Him. It's why when Jesus reached the end of His fragile hold upon life, death could not finish Him. It could kill His body, but it could not kill Jesus. It could eliminate that first kind of life, but it couldn't eliminate the second. It's why the resurrection had to happen to Jesus. Because he was full of the eternal life of God, not just the fragile biological life that we all share. 
Now, that's the invitation of Christian life, that this personal life that we see in Jesus Christ takes root in us and begins to grow in us. And as that life grows in us, we find it bearing all kinds of fruit in us, kindness and gentleness and courage and wisdom and grace. So how do we grow in this life? Just one or two quick things to say before I close this, these few remarks. John says, we've seen, we've felt, we've touched this life, because he was, of course, one of the first generation of people who knew Jesus in the flesh. You and I haven't done that. We cannot see, we cannot feel, we cannot touch Jesus in quite the same way that John and the other apostles did. Does that mean we're worse off? Well, according to this reading, no, we're not, because there are a number of ways in which we can do this. And I guess this is particularly to the confirmation candidates and baptism candidates today, but for all of us as well. Because one of the ways in which we access this life and grow in it is what the apostle says here. He says, we may not have seen and felt and touched the body of Jesus, but they did. John did. Matthew did, Judas did, Bartholomew did, all those apostles, those people who saw Jesus in the flesh, and they wrote down their recollections, their stories, and they testified to it. That's what we have within the Scriptures. And what we are called to do as part of the Christian church that shares these stories is to believe those stories to believe all that the Bible tells about leading up to the appearance of this life in the person of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The stories of Jesus himself that we read within the Gospels. All that working out of the implications of the coming of life into the world that we read within the epistles. You can't grow in this faith unless you get to know this book. Because this book is the one in which we find the testimony, the story of this life who came into this world. We need to read this book, believe it, trust it, get to know it, study it, explore it. I was saying to the candidates earlier on today, one of the ways in which we grow within the Christian faith is making every day, we try to listen to what God is saying to us through the pages of this book of Scripture. But the second way in which we do this, not just by reading the Scriptures, is by being part of the Christian community. John says, we declare to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. You can't have fellowship with the Father and the Son on your own. We only have it in fellowship with one another. As the great St. Augustine says, you cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother. And those who are invited into fellowship with God the Father and His Son are invited into the fellowship of His people. And as we come together to this place where we can sense the presence of God amongst us as the, with it, as in the Holy Spirit, in the Christian communities, we come to the, the water of baptism, which is very tactile and real when we come to Holy Communion, as we will in a moment, where we are offered bread and the wine representing the body and blood of Christ, 
We're given these signs, these physical signs, as the first disciples did, feeling, touching, touching concerning the word of life. We come to this place week after week. It's important we do that, to be encouraged, to be built up, to be reminded of the life that is ours in Jesus Christ, to be sustained in that life through the Holy Communion, through the preaching of the Word, through encouragement, through support, being reassured that we're not alone. At the end of what John says here, he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Because the result of receiving this life into yourself this life that is eternal, that is relational, that is personal, is that we begin to find joy welling up within us. A joy that knows that we are loved by a heavenly Father every bit as much as He loved His Son, Jesus Christ. That we are part of a fellowship of people who will bring us support and friendship and welcome week by week as we come here to gather. We're filled with joy as we realize that however frail our hold upon life is, there is a hope beyond this one for the life that is true life that we saw in Jesus Christ and is ours through faith in Him. And in that, we rejoice today and always. Amen.